The restructuring of multilateral development banks has been seen as a, a key part of, uh, of India's G20 agenda. Uh, it was part of the B20 process uh, as well. Uh, there have been a couple of uh, very, very important documents which have been produced, uh, which have looked at the entire process of, of uh, restructuring multilateral development banks, some of the challenges and some of the opportunities which do exist if this process is carried out uh, in the way that it was supposed to be carried out. Uh, joining us now, uh, two key individuals associated with the entire process of uh, working towards restructuring multilateral development banks and, 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 and you know, producing these reports. Encasing uh, with us and Lord Nicholas Stern as well. Thank you very much, much, sir, for being with us. Mr. Singh, let me come to you first. For a broader audience, why was it necessary to restructure multilateral development banks in the first place? Well, I think that that issue goes to the core. Why is multilateral bank important at all? And what is, why is multilateralism important at all? Well, we believe that as against any other kind of bilateral or unilateral decision, the countries of the South are much better served in a multilateral framework than otherwise. And at the time, at the conclusion of the Second World War, two institutions called the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development and the International Monetary Fund were created to serve the needs for the reconstruction of the global economy. And thereafter, they took shape in multiple ways, the addition of additional dimensions, more multilateral development banks came up, it is a centerpiece of the international financial architecture. Right. This restructuring was necessary for two reasons. First, to take into account the complexities of growth. The original two mandate of these banks was poverty and shared prosperity, but other things got added, most importantly climate. Sec and we therefore needed not only the total volume, but the availability of concessional finance along with the additional volume to address what I now we call the three agenda inextricably linked yeah. one the FAPE side of the other right. and it was necessary therefore to improve the lending capability from a modest 110 billion dollars which all multilateral development banks taken together yeah. to at least closer to around 400 billion dollars and their restructuring and the modalities for restructuring therefore was an integral part of building a global financial architecture more need and in consonance with the new challenges which have emerged. Lord Nicholas Stern, since you produced the report, uh, the report, so and you were part of that process, what progress have we actually seen towards implementation of some of the ideas? We've seen the welcoming of the ideas, which is the first step yes. in uh, implementation at the um, Marrakesh annual meetings yes. of the World Bank and the IMF the G20 um, finance ministers and central bank governors meeting together welcomed the report and looked to uh, the next G20 presidency, Brazil, mm -hmm. to really get going on the implementation. And at the, same, at the same meeting, the, central the same meeting, the multilateral development bank presidents themselves also welcomed the report. I don't know how many of your listeners take the uh, intricacies of multilateral language very seriously, but welcome is quite a strong statement. It is indeed. I was in Marrakesh and, and we looked at, at the release over there and, and the welcoming, uh, uh, you know, I mean, which was made. But in terms of a timeline, uh, what would you say would uh, a timeline be for um, implementing some of the key uh, suggestions which have been made? Oh, now. And there are many uh, suggestions which can be acted on really quickly.
um, for example, extra use of uh, guarantees, um, making better use of the capital that they have already by taking on uh, more risk and so on. Some of those things can be done and should be done starting from now. Yeah. Um, but if you ask uh, an institution, uh, particularly the, the, uh, the MDB, Multilateral Development Bank Institutions, to embark on a path where they strongly increase their uh, lending, their financing, they have to be confident they can continue. Right. Otherwise they hit, as it were, a brick wall, which is their capital uh, constraints. Right. So at the same time as they get moving now, you have to indicate to them that when the capital increase is necessary, some sooner, some later, depending on the bank, that the shareholders, rich countries, poor countries, particularly the rich countries, will be ready to support them. Yeah. So that indication should come now so that they can really start scaling up very quickly. But we have no time to lose. This next five, ten years will be absolutely critical for the future of our planet and the standard of living and welfare, particularly for the poorer people. Um, what sort of transformative impact uh, can we now see uh, with um, you know, the reform process of multilateral development banks, hopefully starting right about now? Well, I think that I, it's an ongoing process. Uh, you need to restructure uh, in fundamental ways many of the processes and procedures of these multilateral development banks. So I think that the three very important aspects to which, on which I will focus on is the extent to which they are succeeding in optimizing their balance sheet. The Capital Adequacy Framework Report, which we all know, set up under the Italian Presidency, endorsed by the Indonesians, fully adopted mm. by our report, really enjoins on them to optimize their balance sheet in multiple ways. For instance, recalibrating the equity loan ratio, yeah. in takes, taking bolder decisions mm. in terms of making all multilateral development banks act as a family mm. instead of acting in silos. Mm. Those things can be done pretty quickly. Second, I do believe that the processes and procedures of these multilateral development banks, so to give you an example, Vishnu, an average time taken from the loan application to a World Bank to disbursement is 27 months, pretty atrocious act, things have changed. That should be brought down to perhaps 10 months or 8 months. Second, I think instead of really only waiting and doing on their own balance sheet, and that is crucial, of attracting private capital, we expect that $500 billion of private capital is necessary. And what kind of changes and procedures and processes will enable the attraction of private capital. We have made some recommendations in our report, like on how to mitigate foreign exchange risk, on how to really more make more effective use of guarantees, how to make more effective use in terms of a blending between different kinds. So I think that private capital would be attraction of private capital. So I think that the volume of lending, yeah. the ability to optimize the balance sheet, changes in yeah. processes and procedures, and the attraction of private capital to meet the challenges of yeah. enlarged financing needs which is necessary to meet the challenges which yeah. the global economy faces today. Sir, doesn't this come with risks as well if you enhance the amount of lending that goes on? Um, you know, the questions would be asked on, on whether governments would be in a position to repay. Uh, therefore, uh, are there internal safeguards which exist? The most risky strategy of all is to do very little. Doing very little takes us into very dangerous territory 
territory which is not just bad for the planet, it's bad for the people of the planet, for their living standards, for the incomes across the world. That's the kind of risk that we run. So the most risky and unrealistic strategy, in our view, is to do very little. So we have to do a great deal more because we're talking about increases in investment in emerging markets and developing economies of three or four percentage points yes. of GDP. That's a major increase, but it actually is perfectly feasible. Uh, India itself has had much higher investment rates in the past than at the moment. It's perfectly possible to do those increases, but they're going to be majority private sector or close to majority private sector, and they cannot go there without the kind of risk sharing that um, my great friend and colleague N.K. NK Singh was talking about, sharing that risk. So they have to do it in a way where the multilateral development banks take on more of the risk than they have done in the past. Yeah. We speak about bigger, bolder, better. Right. Bigger is more financing, bolder is taking more risk, and better is all the ways of working more effectively that uh, N.K. has just uh, described. Yeah. If you do that, then you manage the risks better than we've done in the past. Will there be risks from this expansion? Of course. Mm -hmm. There'll be much bigger risks from not doing it. Right. Uh, Mr. Singh, over here at the World Economic Forum, sustainable uh, climate is something which is something which is a key theme. Uh, financing sustainability is another issue altogether. Um, the move to new technologies requires capital investment, it requires the availability of capital funds in different markets across the world, some nations more poor, some nations richer. Uh, how do you believe a reform in the multilateral bank scenario uh, can actually address that key concern on who pays for new technologies to avoid climate change? Well, you're frankly, this is a much larger issue because uh, I'm sure Nick would have wanted to add that if assuming that the world at the very base level requires four trillion dollars a year in terms of investment what we have given is to address the issue of one trillion dollar five hundred billion coming from concessional and non-concessional finance five hundred billion coming from private capital and the rest three trillion coming from domestic resource mobilization now that really entails deeper structural changes to improve the growth potential, the tax buoyancy of individual countries. And that's an area where I do believe that both the bank and the fund and multilateral development banks in general will have to work towards how to improve the domestic resource mobilization and capability of the countries themselves to be able to meet and manage a substantial part of the financial burden for a more orderly transition to an era or more sustainable growth. Would you like to add to that how the funds available in, in uh, multilateral development banks can actually result in a positive change uh, you know, to uh, avoiding or, or, or ensuring that we don't go beyond 1.5 degrees? The uh, reason that we've got into this difficult position of already being very close to 1.5 degrees is because we have not invested enough in the new, the new and the clean and it's investment in the new and the clean that allows us to avoid the investment and indeed run down some of the capital in the old and the dirty. But you've got to have the new and the clean. So what this investment is about is in large measure, particularly in the energy sector, creating the new and the clean. And that will in involve two, three, four percentage points of GDP. But this is investment for growth. Yeah. 
It is in the clean is cheaper than the dirty. Yeah. Across uh, most of electricity, close to clean, clean, cheaper than the dirty through much of road surface transport mm -hmm. now through uh, electric uh, vehicles. It's where the big innovation comes. This is about um, energy and resource efficiency. Efficiency is productivity, is growth. Cities where you can move and breathe and be productive, and we all know that moving and breathing in Delhi is a bit problematic. Mo <laughs> yeah. Cities like that move, breathe more productive. But one of the advantages, uh, to just elaborate on a point that Nick has made, India, Vishnu, is in a particularly advantageous position being able to make a more orderly informed transition because the bulk of our investments have yet to be made and harnessing therefore technology which you were mentioning in a more meaningful way India has the great advantage of making these more informed choices right. than many other countries yeah. and so this is perhaps in some ways God's blessing to what re really may have been a latecomer in the whole development game. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, please go ahead, sir. If you look at India's likely infrastructure in 2050, 80%, 80% is yet to come. Yeah. If that can be clean and uh, efficient and uh, easy to use, then that is enormously beneficial for the whole of the Indian population, producers and uh, consumers. And we've seen that India has the entrepreneurship to make that happen. Yeah. But it does involve increasing investment and it does involve managing the risk yeah. of that investment. There, the in, internally in India, domestic resource mobilization, very important, but so too the external partnership with the MDBs. Yeah. A final question to you, sir. You've been here for how many uh, World Economic God Forum? knows. I lost count of it, but it began very much a very, very long time ago. How has it changed? I would say in three ways. First and foremost, I think in terms of the complexity of the World Economic Forum keeping pace. Uh, Vishnu, I don't know when you came first. Five years back. But uh, before that, the number of hotels, the number of people, the number of stakeholders, the number of corporates who came here, the diversity has changed beyond recognition. So that's one big change. Second, when I initially came, India was a comparatively nascent story. Right. People were watching with very eyes will it, which way it will go in terms of political stability yeah. and economic decision making. So that was the general mood for yeah. many years. Yeah. That has been third and final a tectonic shift that in terms of India becoming a favorite destination and a favorite capital for global investors in terms of having a, an economic policy which is far-sighted a political leadership deeply committed to growth, deeply committed not only to inclusive growth and poverty alleviation, mm -hmm. but deeply committed to addressing issues of efficient infrastructure, enhancing its domestic resources, export capability, and harnessing technology in a manner which is more meaningful. I'd like to thank both of you very much uh, for joining us. The reform of multilateral development banks, absolutely critical going forward. It's something which directly impacts the lives of billions around the world.